Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you chose to join us and worship this morning um, on this gorgeous, gorgeous weekend. Um, would you please stand and join with us as we sing? Amen, amen. I pray that's true for you, that we never stop singing. 
We are worshiping him today, and I'm glad we are here to worship with you guys. I'm going to read a scripture to us. This is 1 John 4, 16 through 19. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We're going to sing this song called Stand in Your Love. And may we pray this over you. If you're struggling with anything today, whatever's facing you today, whatever fears you're facing today, may you remember that he is there for you and conquers all that. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Because my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, shame no longer has a place to hide. I am not captive to the lies. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. Sing it. Oh, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. Because my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power that can break off every chain. Yes, there is. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power. There's resurrection power that can save.
didn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, Jesus, we are standing in your love. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, when, when I'm standing in your love. Amen, amen. Would you have a seat? Good morning, and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Pastor Dan Russell, and I'm the middle school pastor here at Westgate. Thank you for joining us. If you are new, welcome. We would love to get to know you. At the end of the service, head out to the main entrance into our guest center, where there is a host who would love to meet you and answer any questions that you have. We also have a small gear for you just to say, thanks for being here. We also have our Connect card available in the back of the pew. Go ahead and take a moment to fill that out. It's a great way to let us know that you joined us. You can also use that card to share any prayer requests that you might have. We love the opportunity to pray for our church family each week. Drop your card in the offering bucket when it's passed later in the service. You can find the Connect card on our Westgate app as well. Hopefully, you had a chance to grab your sermon notes on the way in. Those are always available on the entrance tables from our ushers, or you can also find them on the Westgate app. Summer's heating up, and so are the events at Westgate Chapel. Don't miss out on all the fun and the excitement. Head over to our website at westgatechapel.org slash events or download the Westgate app to stay in the loop with everything that is happening. Here's a sneak peek at some of the highlights that are on the way. Good morning, sports fans! Westgate Chapel is gearing up for an exciting night out the ballpark this summer, 2023. That's right. We're talking about a game between the Toledo Mudhens and the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And it's happening on Friday, July 21st at Fifth Third Field in Toledo. Get ready to witness some thrilling action and root for your favorite team as we've reserved a large section for our entire church family to enjoy the experience together. But wait, there's more. This event isn't just about baseball. It's a perfect opportunity for you to invite your neighbors and introduce them to our church family and friends. Tickets are only $14, and you can easily get your hands on them by scanning the QR code on our promotion materials. But don't wait. Tickets are in our section will be available to the general public on Saturday, July 1st. Be sure to snag yours before July 1st. Be a part of this unforgettable night out at the ballpark. Game time is 7.05 p.m. See you there. Move Up Sunday is June 4th. This is an exciting day for all of our kids and students. All ages from infants to high school graduates will move up to their next group. 
If you have a fifth, eighth, or 12th grader who's transitioning into a new ministry, we have a special opportunity for them to participate in both ministries throughout the summer. Our ministry leaders will be reaching out with more information about the changes, so keep an eye out for those details. This morning is going to be an awesome time of worship together. So let's get the morning kicked off. Stand up and greet someone next to you. Enjoy the service. It's awesome we get to worship together. Amen? Yep. Amen. Well, let's do that. Let's continue worshiping together.
It's so good, amen. Woo. I know I say that every week, but I can't help it. Getting to worship together as one body, that's, just, there's, that's how powerful is that? Do you guys realize when we're singing these lyrics, we're singing these songs, it's this declaration against the enemy. It's a declaration against the forces of darkness, the forces of evil that say that no matter what you throw our way, God overcomes, God prevails, right? Amen. So we're singing a lot of songs about God's faithfulness today and just how God never fails. He never lets us down. I mean, he takes our fear and, and just gets rid of it. That's what God is capable of doing. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been afraid at some point in your life? You can raise your hand. It's cool. If you're, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying, okay? We, we, first service, we had a few of them too, so it's all good. But... We've all been afraid at some point in our lives of something or another. We've all been scared. Just last night, my son, you know, Anson was telling me he was scared of, scared of the dark. So he'd built up his, you know, stuffed animals and everything around him, and he was telling me he was scared. And we talked about God's faithfulness. I told him that, you know, God keeps us safe. God protects us. And 
something that the story that really comes to mind here uh, for me, again, we, we know there's just numerous stories uh, of God's faithfulness alone, just in scripture alone, as well as our lives. But one of the stories I really want to touch on is when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They, keep in mind, he just got done performing these, these or the, the, doing these 10 plagues on Egypt. These, these miracles, they were horrible, but they were miracles that God performed to, to, to get Pharaoh to soften his heart, to allow the, the Israelites to leave. And so he brings them out of Egypt, and they're on their way. They're traveling, and the, one of the coolest parts of this story is, to me, just the visual. Uh, scripture says he leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, I don't even know what that looks like. I'm sure there's a number of artist renditions of what that looks like, but that sounds pretty stinking terrifying and amazing at the same time, right? You're being led by this pillar of fire. Like, I, I don't know what that looks like, but I, it, regardless, it's pretty it'd be pretty incredible to behold. And so they get to the Red Sea, and even after seeing all of God's faithfulness, what, what, what do the Israelites do? They panic because they, they see Pharaoh's army coming. They start worrying again. They have just seen God's faithfulness on display in 10 amazing and miraculous ways. And they get to the Red Sea, and they immediately forget about God's faithfulness. They even say, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, when I read that, when I, when the first, first glance, I'm like, like, how idiotic is that? They just got done seeing God do all these things. Like, come on, people, what's wrong with you? But then Moses, and the wisdom that God has provided him, says to them, this is in verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And this is the verse I want to hone, focus in on right here. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Every time I read that, I'm overcome when I think about, because I've just got done thinking, man, these Israelites, come on, but, but how, how dumb do they have to be? But then I read that verse, and then it hits me. I'm the Israelite. That's who I am, because countless times in my life, God has shown his faithfulness to me, and then countless times right after that, I see an obstacle and I get scared. I panic. I forget that the God of Abraham, the God of the universe, God who led these Israelites out of Egypt, is the same God fighting for me. He fights for us every day, every minute, every second, every millisecond of every day, God is fighting for you. Regardless of what you're going through, God fights for you. And you need only to be still, to be silent and follow him. Trust the path that he has laid out for you. Just keep going, no matter what you have, because we see God's faithfulness time and time again. Amen? 
commitment. So as we sing this song, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We've done this song before. It's called Promises, but I want you to really absorb these words. And let the God of all things just speak over you and breathe into your life this truth. promises and time and time again you have proven you do just what you say though the storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to away your word remains the same your history can prove there's nothing you can't do you're faithful and true though the storms may come and the winds may blow i'll remain steadfast and let my heart
faithfulness you have given us so much you've given us more than we are deserving of God but you make us whole you make us holy in your image father and we thank you for that Lord your faithfulness is on display from generation to generation and we thank you we can't thank you enough Oh, God, getting to be here. God, I pray everyone in here understands this and comes to understand this more and more. But, God, getting to do this together, getting to worship you, declare our love for you, declare our faithfulness to you, and declaring your faithfulness to us, God, there is nothing else like that. So, Father, we give to you this morning our praise. Our offerings, our tithes, Lord, we give it all to you. It's all one, Lord. It's all an act of worship to you. You're worthy of all that and so much more. Teach us more about you, God. Teach us more about your faithfulness, about your ways this morning. Change our hearts, God. Move us to be more and more like you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Again, just like I prayed, and as we continue to worship this morning, we are going to take this morning's uh, offerings and tithes. So please pass, uh, pass those buckets. And if you are a guest, feel free to let them pass right on by you.
As you know, this weekend our country uh, celebrates Memorial Day weekend, a time where we uh, pause to reflect and remember uh, many men and women who have served in our armed forces who have given their lives uh, for us so that we can uh, experience the freedoms that we get to enjoy every single day. And I can remember a number of years ago, this be, uh, became so real personally to me uh, when one of my former students uh, gave his life in Afghanistan. And uh, I know that as we sit here in this room, that there are many people and many fam families uh, who have experienced the loss of a loved one uh, who has served in our military. And uh, this morning as we uh, pause, like our nation does to remember, uh, not only do we remember the people that gave everything so that we could experience the freedoms that we experience, but we also remember the families that have been left behind. And this morning, I would love the opportunity to just pause and uh, pray over those families. And as well, uh, anytime we come to Memorial Day, I'm consistently reminded, as we saw in the video, that not only do we pause to remember uh, the servicemen and women uh, that have given their lives, but it is a constant reminder to us, as that passage said, uh, that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for their friends. I am consistently reminded that not only remembering people that have done that for us, but there is one person who was sent from God, who gave his whole heart and his whole life so that we could experience freedom in Christ. And so uh, keep that memory as well this morning as we worship the Lord, but also as we pray for one another. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you uh, for this morning, and I thank you that we can gather together on this Memorial Day weekend here in this building as we do every week, week in and week out, to pause from our toil and our work throughout the week and the many things that consume us, and to slow down and to focus our hearts on you and to worship you. We recognize, God, that there are many places in the world that do not have that same freedom the ability to walk into a room and to worship freely with others. And uh, Lord, we remember this weekend as a nation, the many people uh, who have served in our military and given their lives so that we can experience these freedoms. We thank you for them. We thank you for their courage. We thank you for their bravery. Uh, but most importantly this morning as well, Lord, we lift up their families to you, to the many people who have been touched by the loss of a loved one, that this week are remembering their life and all that they gave in sacrifice. And Lord, we pray pray that you would draw near to them, that you would comfort those who are brokenhearted, Lord, that you would bring peace into their hearts and into their lives. But as well, Lord, as we remember this, we cannot forget that you, Father, have given the greatest sacrifice, that you sent your son Jesus into the world, into a battle that is waging for our hearts and for our souls, and that you gave your very self to die on a cross so that we could be reconciled to you and experience true freedom and true life. And so as we remember everything that is going on in our nation and the people that have served so sacrificially, at the same time, Father, we remember all that you have sacrificed for us and we offer it up to you as worship. So we thank you, God, and pray that you would be glorified and honored this morning as we move into your word, as we listen to your Holy Spirit speak into our lives, and we pray, God, that you would transform us because of it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Hey, as we, uh, as we begin uh, this morning, you, uh, if you have not been with us over the past many weeks, we are in the middle of a series going through the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull them out and follow along with us. Uh, we're going to be this morning in Mark chapter 5, if, if you, whether that's a physical Bible, if you got it on your phone. We'll also be projecting uh, the passage on the screen this morning. But Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and we're going through a series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? In this series, uh, we see that Mark, as he is writing, likely a companion of Peter, and writing down the things that Peter has been telling him about the things that Jesus said, we see that the very beginning of the gospel, if you remember, that Mark tells us from the very get-go the purpose of his writing. And the purpose is that we would know and understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the very Son of God that was sent into the world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. He doesn't uh, wait until the end of the book to reveal this, like kind of building up to a, to a climax. He goes to the very beginning and says, this is the point. And then he spends the next chapters of the book of Mark helping us to see in the person of Christ from the very beginning of his ministry to the very end how this unfolds, helping us to understand all of who Jesus Christ is. And he does so, so that we would have confidence in placing our faith and our trust in him. Now this morning, uh, you'll see that we've been, as we've been going through, we have been learning a lot about who Jesus is and his interactions with his disciples as he calls them and they begin to experience his power in many different ways. And today's passage is, is no different in that sense, but takes it to an even higher degree. We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 5 in verses, uh, I believe, 1 through 20 as we take a look at what takes place immediately after what we talked about last week. And this is an encounter that Jesus and his disciples have with a demon-possessed man. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you had ever have ever had any experience with running into someone that was uh, demon-possessed or under spiritual control like that. Uh, I can believe, I believe that the first time that I ever experienced that was when I was an intern a number of years ago back in Long Beach, California. Uh, before I had become a youth pastor, just the measly little intern that, you know, did all the grunt work. And uh, one Sunday morning in particular, things were going as they normally did. I was preparing to teach our junior high students. Uh, the band was warming up to get ready to play. And right as I was getting ready to walk into our gym where, where we all met together, uh, I can remember that uh, somebody walked up to me and said, hey, there's somebody out in the courtyard that seems a little bit troubled. Out behind the building, it was a small courtyard where there weren't a lot of people. Could you go and check on them? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go check on them. And as I went out there, I encountered a lady who uh, seemed really, really aged, though I don't think she was, young, uh, was old, but you could tell from her life and the troubles that she was dealing with that she, there was a lot that was going on. She looked very disheveled, almost homeless, but there was something very different about this encounter that I had with her. And I've never quite been able to put it into words. In the conversation that I had with her, I quickly came to the conclusion that she was under some sort of demonic oppression. And I can remember that as this was taking place, I'm out here alone on this little courtyard patio with her. And for me as a young man in ministry, I'll be honest with you, I was completely terrified. I had no idea what to do. All I could actually think about was how can I get myself out of the situation and let somebody else deal with it? Or maybe she'll just go away. Honestly, I struggled because I looked at the situation and I looked at 
what was taking place. And I thought, I do not have the tools. I do not have the ability to handle this problem. And I want it out. You know, it's interesting that when we think of a situation like that, when we think of things of the spiritual realm or spiritual nature, oftentimes that may be our response, a fearful response of this is more than I can handle, more than I can deal with. And yet we off, what we often also don't realize is that every single day where while we may not personally be dealing with demonic oppression or possession, there are demonic forces in this world that every single day are seeking to destroy those who follow Jesus Christ and people in this world. And it is a power that is beyond us. And this morning as we encounter our passage in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see how Jesus and his disciples have an encounter just like this with the spiritual realm that was far beyond anything. But I think this is the point that we need to catch this morning. Far beyond anything the disciples or the people that were around this individual could handle in their own strength and own power. But what Jesus is going to reveal about himself, and that I think not only he wants his disciples to understand, and what Mark wants us to understand, is that Jesus alone is the one who has the power to save, but we also have access to that power. And so look with me, if you will, as we dive into this passage together. Uh, You'll see here in your notes, if you're following along with me, uh, Roman numeral number one says that Jesus and his disciples arrive in a location that most good Jewish men would not want to be found. Now, you'll remember that the disciples are coming off of what might have been an exhausting and exhilarating boat ride with Jesus. As we talked about last week, uh, Jesus and his disciples had spent an entire day together teaching in the area of Capernaum on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And after spending time teaching the crowds and spending time doing different miracles, Jesus says to his disciples, let's jump in a boat and let's go across the lake. You see in the map here on the screen that moving from Capernaum, that they would have been moving probably from the northwest down to the southeast somewhere. And so the desire is for them to get some rest. But as they get out on to the sea, as we mentioned last week, you'll remember that the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains and by hills, and when the winds come rushing off of those mountains, the cold winds, meeting the hot air that is rising from the sea that sits about 700 feet below sea level, that they would hit and clash, and it would cause these incredible windstorms that would come up. And it tells us as we read the passage last week that as Jesus and the disciples are out, this takes place, there is this massive storm, and you would think that the disciples would have this under control. Many of them, at least seven of them, have been fishermen. They've been out on the sea. No doubt they've had experience with the boats and with the weather, but the passage tells us that they are terrified. This is something like they haven't experienced, that they believe that their life is in peril. And so they run to Jesus and they find him sleeping in the stern of the boat, and and they're freaking out. And Jesus jumps up, and what does he do? The passage says that it's speaking to the wind and to the waves on a dime, it stops. And what Jesus does in that moment is he displays his incredible power over all of nature. And he teaches the disciples and us a little bit more about himself. And what it tells us in the passage is this, is that the disciples' momentary fear of death was now overshadowed by their fear and awe of Jesus' power, that there was this transfer that took place. And we talked about this truth, that the point is that faith is cultivated by understanding who Jesus is. 
And this experience that the disciples have now had with Jesus is going to go to a whole new level. They have experienced his power now in healing. They have experienced his power over the very forces of nature. And as they are now cruising the boat into dock on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, we read that they are going to have another encounter. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, that they came to the other side of the sea after this crazy time out on the sea in the storm to the country of the Gerasenes. Letter A in your notes, the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee was the area of the Roman or Gentile Decapolis. All along that eastern shore was an area known as the Decapolis, 10 cities in the region that were meant to showcase pagan Hellenistic culture and ideals. The city that they came to was uh, a Roman city, likely settled and influenced by the surrounding culture. And being, if being in a Gentile area wasn't bad enough, a place where most Jewish men would not want to be found, we also find that they are surrounded not just by unclean Romans, but uh, later in the passage, we find that they're also surrounded by swine herders. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament and the Jewish people, they couldn't eat pigs. They considered pigs to be unclean food. And so here they are in a Gentile area, swine herders around them who are providing for the detested Roman occupation. It would have been doubly offensive for them to be in this situation. No doubt a place the disciples are probably looking at Jesus going, are we really going to park the boat here? And in Mark chapter 5 verses 2 through 5, it continues and it tells us this, that when Jesus had stepped outside of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often uh, been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine the picture here as Jesus and his disciples get off of the boat? And what does it say as they exit the boat? That they encounter an unclean man with an unclean spirit. Letter B in your notes. They encounter an unclean man with an unclean spirit. Now, when we think of the word unclean, typically we think of something that is dirty. Like I have a picture that goes back in my mind to when I was a senior in high school, I took a weightlifting class instead of PE. And me and some of the guys, a bunch of them were football players. I wasn't, but we, we decided that we weren't going to wash our gym shirts for the entire year. You can, you can imagine how much my mom loved this idea, right? But I decided I wasn't going to do it. So every day we would work out together in the locker room. We would be lifting weights, sweating horribly, go out for a run, and then take that shirt, hang it up in the locker, close the door, and wait till the next day to put it on. Let me tell you, after the first half of the year, the smell that emanated from that locker in that locker room was intense. But then think about going the second semester. I remember taking that shirt home, and my mom was like, don't you dare bring that 
that thing in my house, right? Because I took it and it literally was so crispy it could stand up on its own, right? Now, to me, that was a badge of honor. But to my mom, that was a disgusting, unclean shirt. When I think of something that's unclean, I think back to the first time I took uh, junior high students on a travel camp uh, when I was an intern. And we would travel up the coast of California, camping all along the way. And there was this one uh, young man by the name of Brandon who made the decision that he wasn't going to shower the entire trip that we were camping. And uh, we were in the dirt. We were out by uh, fires every single night. We were out running around doing lots of fun stuff. And uh, I can remember when we brought him home, Brandon's mom barely recognized him. He had this black film that covered him from the top of his head to the very bottom of his toes, right? When we think of something that is unclean, our minds typically go to thinking of something that is dirty or someone who has bad hygiene. But being unclean was not about that. It was about ceremonial defilement. In the Old Testament, there were things that made people ceremonially impure, where they would be unable to enter into the tabernacle or to the temple or even be able to stand in God's presence. And if you came into someone or something that was considered to be unclean, then you had to go through a ritual cleansing process that would make you pure again. And not only... Think about it now. Have the disciples, are they, have they landed in a Gentile region with a bunch of impure, unclean people? And they've got swine herders that are all around them, which are completely unclean as well. They also now encounter this man who is demon-possessed that the passage tells us lives among the tombs. In other words, he was consigned to live in the land of the dead. Tombs were considered by Jewish people to be unclean. If you were to touch a corpse, uh, it would render you ceremonial unclean, and you would have to go through this whole ritual process of becoming clean again. It tells us that this man lived in or among the tombs and also that he was a terror to himself and to others with an incredibly violent nature about him. The passage tells us that he was so violent that no, it says no one could bind him anymore. Think about that word anymore. In other words, it gives us a picture that there was this gradual process in this man's life of demonic influence that continued to grow and grow and grow from where maybe he could be subdued at some point in his life to now where there wasn't a single person who could subdue him. It's interesting because it says not even with a chain. They would put him with ropes or with shackles. Shackles being, you know, a picture of these big metal things put around his ankles that he could literally break them apart. The Greek actually uses a triple negative here just to emphasize how violent this individual was. He had incredible human strength, and he couldn't be subdued by anyone. And when you look at this story over in the Gospel of Luke, Luke also adds the fact that here is a man that is completely without clothes, totally naked. I mean, this dude is free in every sense of the word, totally naked. Nobody can subdue him. He does as he absolutely pleases, terrorizing people day and night. And it says that he was day and night crying out and cutting himself, bringing harm to himself and terror to others. And as I read this passage, this is probably the saddest part of this man's condition. Why? Because the man had complete external freedom. Nobody could subdue him. But he had complete internal bondage. He was completely bound up by the forces of evil. 
It's one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness that is recorded in the entire Bible. A man who had external freedom, but complete internal bondage. And as we read this passage and we think about this man who was demon-possessed, let her see the man's situation shows us just how powerful Satan's grip can be over someone's life. It's interesting, when we read scripture, I want you to think about how scripture defines the power of Satan and the power of evil and the power that it can have over our lives. We're warned by so many different writers of the scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter tells us, be alert and of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. That he literally is on the lookout looking for a way to bring destruction to the people of God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 verse 1 defines sin that Satan uses against us. He, he says he defines it as sin that so easily entangles that Satan is constantly trying to draw us into his web of sin so that we would be separate from God and destruction would come to our lives. The apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 warns us, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't even give him a small, tiny little space in your life. Why? Because when you do. He will do everything he can to take more ground from you. We look and we see that in the book of James chapter 1 verses 4 through 15, it tells us that when evil desire gives birth, it gives birth to sin, which then gives birth to death. What do, what do you know from these verses? What do they teach us? As a whole, when we look in scripture and we think about Satan's grip over someone's life, these verses teach us this truth. That Satan desperately wants you and me to live in bondage. He wants us to live in bondage to sin, being separated from the very things of God. And he will do everything within his strength and his power to bring that separation in our lives. But you might look at me and say, yeah, but Rob, I've never seen anything like what we are reading about in this passage. Like, I don't, I've never experienced demonic possession, whether it's myself or with somebody else. I've never seen anything like that. Like, I just don't get it. And I can remember having a conversation with some missionaries a number of years ago when I was in a, another country talking to them. And it was a country where there was lots of spirit worship. And they talked all the time about these manifestations where you knew that there was this powerful spirit that was working over this community or in somebody's life. And I asked them, I was like, you know, what's interesting to me is like I read about those types of things in the Bible and I read about them or hear about them in these countries, but it doesn't seem like you see that a lot in America. I'm like, I just don't understand. Why is it? And this missionary looks at me and he says, you know, I really wonder if it's because Satan already has so many people in America in his grips and they don't even realize it, that that isn't even really necessary. I want you to think about it because we may think to ourselves, I've never experienced bondage like this before, but how many people in our world today and even in our churches are in Satan's grip when it comes to the issue and the addiction to pornography and sexual sin? How many people experience the grip of that sin and no matter how much they want out, they feel trapped and like they can't overcome it? How many people in our world and in our churches wrestle with the issue of drunkenness or drug abuse? 
an addiction that grabs people's lives and holds on. I was talking to a friend this past week about how drug abuse has impacted their own family's life. And it's so hard to understand the difficult grip that that places on people where they feel trapped and they can't get out. Satan's grip seems so firm. But we look at issues like this when it comes to pornography and sexual sin or drunkenness and drug abuse. And we go, okay, that's addiction. That's something different. I don't wrestle with that. I've never experienced that. But I actually would venture to guess that many of us, either now or at some point in our life, have wrestled with addiction and we just don't realize it. How many of us wrestle with the addiction of idolatry? You remember a number of years, uh, I'm sorry, a number of weeks ago when we talked about idolatry specifically, we said idolatry is when we take anything and put it in the very place of God, giving it prominence over God in our lives, where it literally becomes like a God. How many of us in American culture have wrestled with this on a day-in and day-out basis, and its grip is so firm that we don't even realize that it's present? How many of us have given ourselves over to not only the grip of idolatry, but to things like pride or greed or hatred towards other people or gossip? How many have found ourselves in the clutches of Satan with the inability to forgive people who have wronged us? How many of us have wrestled with spiritual arrogance, destructive thoughts, negative ways of thinking? You see, the truth is is that we think to ourselves, I don't live in bondage, but I believe that many of us, if we were really honest and we had our eyes opened, we would recognize that we at times are just in as bondage as other people are. We may look free on the outside, but there are many people that are living in bondage on the inside. And maybe this morning you feel that, that thing that you've been wrestling with, whether it's things like a specific sin, sexual sin, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, whether it's pride or hatefulness, the way that you speak to others, destructive thoughts, negative ways of thinking, things that you have wrestled with for years and never been able to overcome. And yet on the outside, things look good, but on the inside, you know there's a struggle. And oftentimes what we do in these moments when we recognize that there is struggle is a couple of things. We try to hide it from people out of shame and embarrassment. We don't want to deal with it. We just want to hide it. And that's one of Satan's greatest tricks to keep God's people in bondage is to tell you if people know, it's gonna ruin you. And so it keeps you in that place of hiding it and in bondage. But as well, another response that we often have is that we don't deal with it, either because we don't care or because we have failed so many times to try to overcome it in our own strength that we think to ourselves that somehow we are a lost cause. And as Mark writes this morning and he talks about this, he wants us to see the horrible, despicable, low position that this man has found himself in. Completely consumed by the forces of evil, demonic oppression. On the outside, it looks hopeless, like no one can can bind him, no one can hold him down. There is nothing that could help him. And yet Mark wants us to see so clearly that there is one person who can. And it's a message to you that no matter what it is that you're dealing with this morning and have felt bound up by, that Jesus is the one that can deliver us from our bondage. 
Roman numeral number two, Jesus delivers this man who is being held in bondage. Mark chapter five, verses six through eight say this, that when he saw Jesus from afar, speaking of the demon-possessed man and the demons specifically that are inside of him, when they saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What we see, letter A, is that the demons immediately recognize Jesus, and it tells us that they tremble in fear at the authority that he possesses over them. I want you to think about this. As they, Jesus and the disciples exit the boat, and the demoniac sees them from afar, it says that he begins to run toward them. And you might think to yourself, here we go. We're going to see one of these epic clashes and battles between good and evil, between God and the kingdom of evil. And here it comes. He's rushing toward them. And maybe there's going to be this really incredible, just like the storm on the sea, battle that is now going to take place as an attack comes from evil. But rather than an attack and a battle taking place, it tells us that the demoniac recognizes Jesus immediately. And as he runs, what does he do? He doesn't attack. He falls down at his feet. And the word that is used here in the Greek for falling down also means to worship. But don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that the demons fall down and begin to worship Jesus as like, hey, you're so great and we love you and blah, 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 right? They fall down prostrate on the ground before Jesus. It's a reminder of a passage, by the way, that says one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether it is by your worship or by being forced. They fall down at the very feet, prostrate on the ground before Jesus. It had nothing to do with worship. Rather, it tells us that they collapsed to the ground in submission before him. And this is a powerful part of the passage that you cannot miss. Mark wants us to understand just how incredible this is. He makes the point in the words that he writes that while no human being could bind this demon-possessed man, whether it be with ropes or chains, that Jesus restrains him with nothing more than his very presence. They fall and have nothing and are subdued. Mark wants us to see the, empower, the, the incredible power of God, power of Jesus to save and what does the demon-possessed man, the demons say? They say to Jesus, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is incredible that they know exactly who Jesus is. They know that he is the one that has been sent by God. And the words, why are you interfering with me? We see something similar over in Matthew's account in Matthew eight twenty nine where really what is taking place is that they're asking this question, why is this happening before the time to torment me? In other words, the demons know that there is going to come a day where God is going to be victorious over them, but this isn't the time. Why are you tormenting me now? And it says this, as this encounter continues, Mark chapter 5, verse 9, that Jesus asks them, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. This man was incredibly consumed with numerous demons. And I want to make a couple of points here. Letter B, what I want you to see that I think is important in this is that Jesus always moved towards those who were deeply broken in order to bring about restoration in their lives. Two points about this. 
The first thing is this, as I mentioned at the beginning, as Christians, we often run away from situations where people's needs seem to be too great or too difficult for us. Not many of us have encountered someone who is demon-possessed as Jesus did. But we encounter people all the time that we think, hey, you know what, I don't have the tools for this, or this seems a little bit too inconvenient. Whether that be the homeless person on the street, a person who is entrenched in self-destructive behaviors, the alcohol or drug addict. I can remember as a, uh, an intern in my church that a leader in my church had looked at me as I was trying to help uh, a couple of uh, students, uh, Jeff and Samantha, who were struggling with drug addiction, and he looked at me and he told me, would you just leave them alone and go focus on the kids that actually want to know Jesus? And I thought to myself, am I really being told this by a leader in my church, right? Because isn't that why Jesus came? Jesus said specifically, I didn't come to help those who are healthy. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And the point that Jesus makes, and he tries to help us to understand, is that he wants us to run into these places where people are deeply broken because we can bring to them the message of salvation, that God is the one who heals and can transform and change their lives. But we like to stay away from people whose lives seem messy or broken, people with broken marriages, mental health disorders. We run away from these situations because rushing out or reaching out would seem too inconvenient or maybe too difficult. And we tell ourselves, I could never help, I don't have the tools, or we ignore the fact that we actually have exactly what every single person needs who is suffering from the effects of sin in this world. We have Jesus. He is the answer. And it's the only inconvenient in our lives when our priorities as a follower of Christ are in the wrong place. Second point, first, Christians often run from these situations when Jesus models for us that we should run in because we have the answer. But number two, do not miss this. No matter how far from God you are this morning, no matter how strong you think the grip is that Satan has on your life in an area of sin that you may be wrestling with and struggling with, Jesus is moving toward you, not away from you. He is not looking to get away from you as though you are not good enough, that you haven't done enough on your own and your own strength to show him that you are worthy or deserving because you aren't. None of us are. But when Jesus sees us in our helpless state, he doesn't look at us and go, mm, I don't want to mess with that. He moves in to rescue and we see here in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, it says this. It says that he begged him earnestly, the demons, to not send them out of the country. They were probably territorial spirits. And it says that there was a great herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. It's really interesting, this little play that is happening where Jesus is like, sure, I'll let you go over to the pigs. And then it says that the unclean spirits come out of the man, enter the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and they rush down a steep bank and into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. And what I believe Mark wants us to see as we move through this passage, the most important thing that we could grasp this morning, let her see, is Jesus' power over the demonic realm shows that there is no stronghold and there is no entanglement of sin that he cannot break. And that is good news of hope for every person that walks this planet and for every single one of you. That no matter what entanglement of sin you may find yourself in, no matter how far or unworthy you may feel with God, 
that Jesus can break every stronghold, that there is nothing in this world where Satan can have a grip, that he cannot break it, and that brings you hope. Jesus alone has the power to save, and this is what Mark wants you to know with, with complete certainty. But every, every time we see God's power, it evokes the need for a response. In Roman numeral number three in your notes, everyone has a response to the authority and power of Jesus. Mark chapter five, verses 14 through 17, tell us this, that the herdsmen, the swine herdsmen fled when they saw this happen and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Everyone has a response to the authority and power of Jesus. Letter A, some people experience his power and they beg him. It's intriguing to me that what we see happen here in this passage is exactly what happened with the disciples in the previous chapter with the storm. Remember that the disciples are out on the sea. The storm happens. Jesus gets up and with a word, he stops it. And what does it say? Their fear of death transferred over to a fear of who Jesus was. Who is this man with this incredible power? Do you see the same thing happens here in this passage? That the herdsmen who have been terrorized by this demoniac for years and years, Jesus has completely restored him. He is clothed. He's in his right mind. You would think people would be like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We're all coming to Jesus. And they, you know, a crusade would break out and many people would come to faith in Jesus and start following him. But it says that the people in this area probably for many reasons, angry because they lost their pigs, which was their money. But also this passage tells us that they were fearful of Jesus because of what they had seen happen. And their response is to reject him and they begged him to leave their area. And there are some people that will hear of and experience the power of Jesus and will choose to walk away. And my prayer is that nobody in this room would find themselves in that camp but rather that they would find themselves in the place of this man who had his life transformed. Mark chapter five, verse 18 tells us that as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Having had his life changed and transformed, there was nothing more he could ever desire than to be with Jesus. You see others experience Jesus' power and transformation and they can't get enough of him. They long and desire to be near and to be close to him. He pleads with Jesus, Jesus, can I just be with you? This morning, you may be sitting here and you know that the spirit is speaking to your heart and you can identify the places where you feel bound up and in chains. Maybe it's a specific sin or addiction. Maybe it's in the way that you consistently treat people. Maybe it's in destructive thoughts or destructive patterns in your life. 
whatever that may be where you go, I know that there's Satan's grip on me and I can't seem to break it no matter what I try. What I want you to hear from the word of God this morning is that Mark is telling you, but Jesus is telling you through Mark that he has the power to save, that there is no chain in your life that Satan has that he cannot break if you will come and surrender your heart to him. As we come to this closing song of worship this morning, I want you to experience the freedom that comes from yielding your heart and your life to God. If you have identified that and God is speaking to you this morning and you want freedom from something that you have been bound up in, I would invite you to come as we sing to the front steps here, just to bow and to worship and to yield and surrender and to make that declaration. Lord, I've heard you this morning. I am tired of fighting in my own strength and my own power, but I recognize it is not me who will overcome this. It is you. And I am pleading with you, God, God, will you take it from me? Come and surrender and allow him to begin a new work in your heart and your life today. Let's worship the Lord together. There is power. 
I think this morning for those of you that have come forward that the first step that it, for transformation to take place in our hearts and our lives is the ability to come forward and to say Lord I confess to you that I am broken and that I am desperately in need of you Satan wants nothing more than to hold us in our bondage to leave us in a place where we don't respond because when we don't take those things in our life and bring them out into the light there is no place for God to work and Satan's greatest lie is that ah, if you go forward, if you ask for prayer, if you confess that there's some way that Satan has a grip on you, that people will reject you. They will think differently about you. And he uses that to keep you in bondage. And so this morning, the first step is to cry out and to say, God, I desperately need you and I want you to save me. And I want you to hear this morning that his power will break those chains and that bondage in your heart and in your life if you trust your heart to Jesus. So whether you came forward this morning or not, I mean, it was beautiful service. We had about 10 people that came forward, people that are asking God to break them free of addiction, 
addiction to drugs or to drinking, addiction to pornography, so many different areas in their life. And I believe this morning that if you take that step, that he will do the same for you and break you free. If you haven't come forward, but you know that the spirit is speaking to you, our prayer room is open. Uh, Isaac and Chad are over here and would love the opportunity as elders to pray with you this morning at the close of our service. I invite you to continue to come and to respond to the work that God desires to do in your heart and in your life. But I also want to share with you one closing thought. The passage ends in Mark chapter 5 verse 19 and it says this. It says that when the man asks to go with Jesus, that Jesus did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim all throughout the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What I want you to catch is this, is that the response God desires in each of our lives, for those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in him, who have experienced his transforming and freeing work in our lives, is that we wouldn't just long to be with him, but that also we would run to tell others of Jesus's power to save. And if you are here this morning and have placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have experienced his power freeing you from sin and bringing you to life, and you have a story to tell that the world needs to hear. And my charge to you from the very words of Mark this morning is to look for those opportunities this week where God wants you to go out into the cities that surround and to tell others of the power of Jesus to save and how he has transformed your life and that he is the hope for them. Church, you are commissioned to be light of Jesus to this world. Go and serve him this week and bring glory to his name. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. God bless you and have a great week serving the Lord.